Yo, it's Fonger News. I got my boys in studio. Sam Selwyn, Brooks Pounders, coming in for Fonger News. <laughs> All right. Wait for this. I'm going to bust this out. There you go. For the Google slide. Oh, shit. Walk-off song. <laughs> there you go. Welcome to episode number 57 of the Student Manager. It's Fonger News, and joining me... In studio, we have the lefty, the southpaw, Sam Selman, and his sidekick, Brooksy, Brooks Pounder. What's up, boys? How are we doing? Thanks for having us on here. Yeah, appreciate it. Look forward to it. Oh, this is going to be great because we can go in all kinds of directions. Obviously, this podcast is specifically for high school students and parents to help them with the college search and admission process. And we have two interesting stories here, but... Even before we get there, I gotta we gotta thank our executive producer, Murph Cargus. You guys are impressed with the studio? Very much so. This is a nice little spot right here. This is great. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. But how we got together was and I'm gonna hopefully paint this picture really well. It was the end of September. Your baseball season just ended. Selman uh, is the left-handed pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. And um Brooksy has played with a, several teams in the major league uh, uh, system, and we'll talk about that going into this year. But you guys, it, was it like 6.30 in the morning at Pebble Beach? Yeah, you tell this story. <laughs> so it was my birthday, and my fiancé at the time uh, surprised me with a trip to Napa. And I knew that if we were going to Napa, we were staying in the city over there in, uh, in uh, San Francisco. So I was watching Sam's uh, games religiously at that point because we had planned – to if they were out of the playoffs, I was going to bring my golf clubs and stay an extra day, and then we were going to drive down to Pebble Beach and play Pebble Beach and Spyglass in Spanish. And it just happened to work out. They missed the playoffs by one the the last game of the year. And Sam and I shacked up at the uh, at the hotel that night, and then drove on down to Pebble Beach the next morning. And if it wasn't for that modern day bag that you spotted out, right? I mean, we we would not be here today. Yeah, I mean, I spotted the modern day bag. I kind of recognized you from when uh, Joey was Joey Nikolai, my brother in law. Uh, you guys had the fundraiser at the lighthouse, and you were yep. the MC of it. So I was like, man, I kind of know that guy looks really familiar. <laughs> and now I really I really put it on there. The modern day, I was like, all right. I know this guy. Well, it's Fonger News of the student manager, so let's get right down to it. I mean, the big question is we have Vanderbilt uh, that Sam went to play uh, for and, and had his education, and Brooks uh, went a different direction. He went out of Temecula Valley High School and got drafted uh, in the first round? Second, Se- second round. Uh, so I'm going to get to you first, Sam, because most of my – audience, I mean, their parents, right? They think their kid's going to be that superstar or even get to the professional level that you guys are in. Um, And the percentages are very rare. So when the decision came to looking at these colleges, why Vanderbilt? Uh, Basically, it met all the things I was interested in and looking at as far as from it met my baseball requirements and then uh, met my parents' academic requirements. Uh, and yeah, uh, who's, was, who's academic requirements yeah, is that not exa- going to be exactly exactly and it worked out for all parties but I mean at the time they just had uh, David Price was a first overall pick Pedro Alvarez their second overall pick uh, their baseball program was top 10 in the nation and so um, I looked at a bunch of other schools 
Um, and I ended up going to a Vanderbilt uh, baseball camp the summer before my junior year. And I went in there and I just performed extremely well. And uh, I got a call four days later. And uh, I wanted to answer, accept that right on the spot. And my mom said, play it cool, wait two days or so and call him back. And so that was August before my senior year. I think it was like August 15th. Um, called and committed to Vanderbilt. But uh, it happened so fast. I mean, I was I had a list, I mean, on my phone of my dad and I went through an Excel spreadsheet and looked up 20 different schools. And we were I went to probably about four of their camps and just tried to work our way through. And I had a couple come back and check with us in their senior year, see how it goes. We'll see how our, our roster's shaping up, um, but no hard offers. Right, and then right. I literally went to a Vanderbilt camp Four days later, I got a phone call for an offer, and then we accepted three days later. So in a span of 10 days, I went from walking on campus, checking out, love the school. It was always on my list, but it all all the pieces kind of fell into place uh, in that matter of time. And you went to a private school in Austin. I did. I went to a, a small private school, St. Andrews Episcopal School. It's in Austin, Texas. Uh, graduating class was 88. I had 27 kids I went from first grade to 12th grade with. So we had a, a small group of of, uh, of uh, graduating seniors um yeah and so that was uh that was my school i went to and uh my parents were very set on me continuing my education and uh wanted me to go uh continue at vanderbilt and so it worked out well so parents want to hear this and students want to hear this if it wasn't for baseball yes or no would you be at vanderbilt oh absolutely not no i mean the the nine percent acceptance rate um i was i think i was a good student i mean i wasn't scoring in the um, the top, whatever it is now, you gotta be in the top 90, mm-hmm. 95 percentile, whatever it is, or five percentile, whatever it is, um, to get in there. My, my GPA in high school was good, but I mean, now it's, uh, it's so difficult getting in there. And I was fortunate enough that I was a left-handed pitcher and I threw uh, relatively hard for being in high school and had a good slider. So, um, that, that really opened the door for me to get into Vanderbilt. And, um, and it would have been pretty impossible for me to get in there if I didn't have that. Uh- a lefty, a southpaw slider. By the way, I I don't even think we told people why we played slide. The Google Dolls, yeah. right? I mean, the only ones that are going to get that is us three here. So quick story on that. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> it was my my debut was August 2019. Uh, you get up there and um, you don't get to pick your walk-up song. Brandon Crawford, our shortstop, leader in the clubhouse, he gets to pick your walk-up song. And so uh, he picked Google Dolls slide because I throw 70% sliders. And uh, I tried, he's, he picked it out there and he said I could change it. Um, and I actually submitted in a request. And I guess the person up in the front office in the PA booth didn't like my request, crumbled up and threw it away. And so I got stuck with slide. And it's been uh, that for the last year. Wait, and a half what was or so. the request? I, I put in, I, I can't remember what I put in. I think I put in some. Um, EDM song or something like that. Maybe it was a rock song. I can't remember what I put in. Um, it, was, it was it was Pizza Guy is what Snake, it was. Yeah, was yes. I I came out to a song by Ray Wiley Hubbard called Snake Farm. <laughs> um, when I, that was in in Double A, and that was just a joke that everyone loved. But um, yeah, there's a line in the Snake Farm song is it's like just sounds nasty, and he goes ooh. And so that <laughs> was a great walkout song when we were 24 years old, being uh, being fun and young, but. Uh, yes, yeah, so a slide is my walkout song now. Brooksy, do you have a walkout song? Uh, you know what? It's changed every single year. I just go with like what the hot song of the year is, <laughs> hot song of the summer, and just let it go. I mean, um, four different teams. I mean, yeah, uh, I would probably say like my favorite one I ever had was I was like, you know what? I got to switch things up a little bit. Like I'm not throwing so well right now, and I was like, 
I got to go back to a song that'll get me like pumped up before I get in the game. And I went to uh, Rage Against the Machine. There you go. It was a. Uh, it was uh, not killing in the name Bulls of, but uh, no, it wasn't Bulls on Parade. It was a uh... bomb track. No, gosh, man. what was the <laughs> name of it? I gotta look it up. But I'll get back to you. I'll okay. circle back to you on that one. But my ERA dropped drastically when I had when Rage that Against song the came out. So I think if we get back to the big leagues, like that's gonna be the one that sticks. So let's talk about your experience because you were at Temecula Valley High School, ranked one of the top pitchers, uh, pitcher and first baseman. You get an offer from USC. Now, people that listen to this show, I mean, we got the sweatshirt brand parents and the students. They love USC. They love UCLA. Fight on. Yeah, they think that's the only school out there, right? So you had the offer, and people would die to go to USC. But you turn it down. Talk about your story. And we kind of talked about, um, you know, if you had to do it all over again. Yeah, so throughout the recruiting process and going to college, I wanted to go to a place that obviously I could – get to the next level in baseball because I knew that um, baseball was something that I wanted to pursue in my life. Um, I had the opportunity to go pretty much, I don't want to sound cocky when you I say, say this, but <laughs> I could ha- Sam, I basically say had my pick of schools. He was a top 20 high school uh, prospect in the nation. So, so he can go anywhere. Yeah. Um, looking back on it, my choice to go to SC was based around a, I'm going to get a good education. Two, I'm going to play baseball at USC, which not a lot of people get to say. Mm-hmm. And three, I'm going to be two-hour drive away so my parents can come and see me play whenever they can. And that was definitely one of the biggest decision factors for me is, uh, A, them come and be able to see me, but, hey, if I want to go spend a weekend back with my friends back in Temecula, I can go over there and do that. And ultimately landed on SC and... When it came time to the draft rolled around, um, I sat down with my agent at the time and my dad and my mom, and we decided that, hey, um, if we get a substantial amount of money, which was life-changing at the time to me, then we're going to go ahead and play. And looking back on it now, uh, the decision was the right one, I think. Um, Got the chance to develop my career in pro ball and be in high A ball at the same time, I probably would have been able to get drafted and gone to rookie ball in 2012. I was in high A, low A, high A. And usually when you get drafted out of high, out of college, you go to either rookie ball or low A. So I was already a level ahead of where I would have been if I, if I went to college. So that was basically the biggest deciding factor, but do I wish I had my degree now? Absolutely. But Um, I've gotten the experience that not many people have. So what do you tell a high school student that might be either in your position or Sam's position? I mean, most of my listeners, let's, let's face it right now, they're in Southern California. They're going to modern day high school, Newport Harbor, CDM, and their parents think they're like the greatest D one athlete that's going to be out there. But reality, when they ask me my advice, I go, dude, they're, you might be D two, D three but they're thinking they can go to that next level. So what advice do you give to that student and that parent? I think the biggest like advice that you can take away from your kid being an athlete is obviously evaluate your, your talent first and then evaluate the talent around you. If you stand out amongst kids in, at your age in high school, um, you're probably going to be a good player, D1 player. If you're just kind of a kid that's flying under the radar um, – 
I mean, it's not to say you don't go D1 because there's a lot of kids that I've seen that have developed in college and become really good D1 players. But I think that for the most part, kids want the big, the big time college experience, you know, and that's probably why part of the reason that I was going to SC, I was, my recruiting trip was uh, Ohio State USC, and they were one versus two, and USC blew them out thirty-five to three. And I was like, "This is the coolest experience that I've ever had in my entire life." Um, kids definitely want experience, the college experience, but I think that if you have the opportunity to go D two or D three and start as a freshman, you're going to get way more opportunity um, to prove yourself at a D two other than playing for the f- on the bench the first two years and then getting an opportunity to play baseball as your junior year. Right. Go somewhere where you can play immediately and stand out amongst your group of pl- uh, talent because they're going to find talent at the next level no matter what. And pro ball, if you're good, you'll get found. They'll find you. Yeah. So, Sam, I mean, out of high school, you going back to the 5'10", 5'11", skinny left-hander, right? I mean, yeah. you weren't one of the top high school prospects or even at Vanderbilt, which is known for baseball and having professional players get drafted. We just talked about this. You weren't even a Friday or Saturday starter, which is their number one and number two uh, players. And now you're pitching for the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, it was. uh, So I actually, so my going back to high school, I was a a junior year. uh, I hit a huge growth spurt. So I, I was a freshman, sophomore. I was probably um, five eight or so, and then my junior year I got up to about five ten, and then my senior year I hit a huge growth spurt, get to um, six two six three, and but I'm weighing 160, 170 pounds, so I'm just like a baby giraffe out there. I know how to I know how to play baseball, and I could throw it hard, but um, my velocity would dip big time as the innings would go on. Um, and so, um, that's kind of what happened is I went out and, uh, I, I played really well my, uh, senior year. I, I pitched really well at the Vanderbilt camp and got an offer and, uh, accepted immediately. And then, uh, I got drafted as a, a senior at a high school, uh, by the angels, uh, 14th round of 2009, but it was, a um, it was a courtesy draft. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like Brooks. I wasn't, I wasn't in the top 250 high school prospects out there. I was, a um, a young, uh, pitcher that maybe is going to take, eight or nine years in the minor leagues, but well, at 26, he may be actually be worth something. Um, so it didn't make sense for me to go the pro ball route. Um, and then I went to Vanderbilt, and the reason I chose there is because I knew I probably wasn't going to pitch my freshman or sophomore year. I mean, my uh, the first two years I was there, freshman and, and sophomore year, we had 10 guys get drafted my freshman year and 12 my sophomore year. So we had a plethora of good talent at Vanderbilt. And so I had to wait my time um, before I could actually play my junior year. And it was worth it to me because I was getting a good, good education at Vanderbilt and I was learning a lot uh, from a baseball standpoint and getting better. Unfortunately, I didn't have as many like actual playing reps um, mm-hmm. until my junior year, but um, I definitely was able to get stronger and um, become a better pitcher during those two years that I was just in waiting. Well, patience is a virtue, yeah. right? I mean, what advice do you have? to a high school student out there that maybe wants to pursue that dream athletically or even the parents? Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think along with Brooks, um, the the most interesting is, is pick a school that you want to go to. That if, if your sport isn't going to work out, that if 
I mean, God forbid you get a, a major injury that derails your career, you could still enjoy going to school there and it'll still be a great experience and you'll enjoy it. Um, that was the big thing with me for Vanderbilt. And um, I could I could understand the fact that I wasn't going to play for the first two years. And that was fine with me because I enjoyed the school so much and I liked it so much there. Um, and I would actually love to go to school there. So um, when looking at it and trying to pick out, I would say if you're a young athlete in high school is um, look at the school that if your sport, you don't, it, it doesn't end up working out where, I mean, I, I had a lot of buddies that, uh, we came in with 12, 12 guys into our freshman class. I think six of them ended up graduating, um, just because they ended up not playing baseball or transferring out, or they didn't really like the school. And so those six really liked the school and it worked out well for them. Um, and I say the biggest thing is, I mean, pick a school that actually makes sense for you and that you could see yourself at. Well, that's funny how you say that because I I'll always tell a student this and a parents, I said, act as if you just torn your ACL yeah. or the coach got fired. Would you still want to go to that school and get that piece of paper yeah. and have that degree? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I mean, it's definitely a big thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you just, if you pick a school for purely, I mean, that's, uh, I, my dad and I uh, waited out a thing on an Excel spreadsheet when I was going through this process of, it was my schools and I, I would go through it and pick the um, the best looking girl school or the, the biggest party school or the most fun. I was 18 years old and just wanted to have a good time. So wait, and so, pa yeah. pause there because there's listeners that that do the same thing. Yeah. High school students, right? So what were some of those colleges? Yeah, so here, I'll, I'll pull this up <laughs> on my phone right here. I had it here. So I came up, so my dad made a list. So we, we made, uh, we wrote down the schools that I was, I was interested in and he was interested in. And then we actually weighed them out and, and came up with a score of them. And okay. so like I put my schools on the list. I put... Uh, Arizona, Oregon, Oregon, San Diego, Miami, <laughs> Florida State, Clemson, um, Tulane, University of Georgia. And then my dad made it and he ranked his based off purely academics. It was uh, Vanderbilt, uh, Vanderbilt, Wake Forest. He threw in University of Southern California. There we go, fight on. Uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Santa Clara was another one he threw in there. And then we did a mix and match in between the two of them and waited to score. That's quite diversity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, as I was 17 and just wanted to have fun. I mean, I was, um, my, my parents were uh, very adamant on me studying well and, and working on baseball and making sure that. They wanted me to get through my 18 years and under their tutelage, and then uh, once I got out, I was on their own. So um, it was, but it worked out best of just making the best uh, decision together and going through right. that process. So, what other campuses did you visit uh, before selecting Vanderbilt and before committing to Vanderbilt? Yeah, and we can both do it. I'll go first. I I looked at um, I was I was looking at Rice. I went to Rice, um, Duke, and Wake Forest. Um, By the way, Sam Smarty Pants. He just said Duke Wake Forest. Well, it, it worked out well. I mean, I was I, I threw well in like a, a couple showcases that were on the East Coast. So I got a lot of. I, we went to. There's a big uh, showcase you go to down in Florida, and uh, we both went to there. And there's one in Georgia. And so those schools from the East Coast come on down and watch you throw. Um, and so being from Texas, that was an easy one to go to. So I had uh, I had those schools interested in me, and so those uh, clicked well with my parents too. So we went and checked out those schools. Um, and I, if, if probably if Vanderbilt didn't work out, I think, um, rice would have been something cause it was much like Brooks and USC. It was close to home and, um, I could go there and, and, uh, and play and get good academics. Um, and then I went and uh, checked out Duke and Wake Forest. And so, 
Um, but Vanderbilt kind of just met everything together for me. It was a, uh, it was the in the SEC and um, was in Nashville and a great place to be and uh, kind of combined everything all in one. And so it worked out well. But, Brooksy, what what schools before you committed to SE did you go visit or that were interested in you? Like top two, top three. So like, <clears throat> I always wanted the experience of like a SEC baseball because that was the biggest stage of baseball and mm-hmm. college baseball when I was growing up. It, but um, we went to UCLA for an official visit. Uh, we also went to UC Riverside just to mm-hmm. go check it out. That's where my dad went. So it, I pleased him by going and doing the visit at UC Riverside. Um, but when we were back in on the East Coast playing in these tournaments that Sam was saying, I got the chance to go visit like University of Florida and uh, Florida State and University of Georgia. And um, one of the other ones was LSU. And LSU was one of my, it was between USC, UCLA, and LSU for me. And going back on it now, I mean, USC, it would be nice to have the piece of paper at the end of the college career saying USC grad, because that can basically, you write your ticket to any job you want in the world, basically. But um, that's the ultimate reason that I chose USC and being close enough to home. But baseball standpoint, I would probably have chosen LSU if that was the case because LSU was top notch at that time. I yeah. mean, they were winning the College World Series and they were, with the exception of like South Carolina that that year in 2010. And But they were there every single year. And for me, that was what I really wanted to do. I wanted to play in Omaha and win the College World Series, as so, as so does every kid. But um, the recruiting class we had going into SC, if all of us would have stayed and chose to go to school there, um, we probably would have been there at some point, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough for USC. I mean, they're $65,000 a year to go to school there and they get the best recruiting classes in baseball every single year. And the majority of those guys end up signing professional contracts and for them to be able then to go out and find seven new kids that are going to pay 65 grand a year from a junior college they're probably not going to do that. They're going to choose the better route, which is a Cal State Fullerton who has a better baseball program or like a UCLA that has a better program for a fraction of the cost right. to go to school. Well, it, let's stay on that point because people always ask me this question. They're like, Michael, like, oh, they got offered by SC or Vanderbilt. And I know like at UC Irvine, because we're good affiliations with um, the UC Irvine coach, right? And they only offer so many scholarships. Because I think you get like 27. You have 27 players, but you have 11.7. 12 scholarships, but you got to divide them up. And if I'm dividing them up, I don't know if this was with USC and Vanderbilt, but they're giving them to the pitchers, catchers, and first basemen, right? The skilled, unless Vanderbilt, well, SEC might be given 100% scholarship. So at SC, what was uh, Coach Cruder saying to you? 100%? Ours was ni- mine was 90%. So basically, I would have to pay for books and housing okay. out of. 90%. And I know, I mean, colleges probably do this all the time, but we had six or seven guys coming in on 90% scholarships. Yes. So if all of us decided to come there, they were going to be in like a world of hurt trying to figure out where to divvy up these scholarships from. It's like the airline selling airline yeah. tickets and then overbooking, <laughs> yeah, right? overbooking the airline. Yeah. But um, the majority of scholarships now are probably within the 25 to 75% mm-hmm. range. And 
even if you get a 25% scholarship to USC, you're still in the pocket for 50 grand, you know? Or whereas you go to Cal State Fullerton with a good baseball program, you get 25% and you're out of pocket 11 grand or whatever it is at a, at a state school. You keep on forgetting to say my alma mater, Long Beach State. Oh, Dirtbags. Yeah. I mean, we went to the College World Series. Yeah. They had a Giambi game. brother, or yeah. G- G- you know, Giambi and I grew up watching all those dudes, uh, Weaver and yeah. all the, yeah. watching Weaver pitch at <laughs> Long Beach. The Longoria. Yep. Traskel. Now, at Vanderbilt, Sam, were you, what percentage were you? So I was a quarter. So I was, okay. I was 25%. So that was. Uh, that, fortunately, my parents, uh, it, my dad's a, an attorney in Austin, and uh, yeah, he had saved up some money, so it was okay for me to uh, to pay that. But that's that's a major issue. Vanderbilt mm-hmm. does the same thing. Of we're also the only private school in the SEC, so the SEC is all state schools other than Vanderbilt. And so um, the way we work it out is uh, we have a lot of academic scholarships that we give away to uh, to the the baseball team, and um, the way it works is if you come from um, a family that doesn't have as much money, the academic side steps in and they, uh, they help you out there. So we'll have, I mean, Vanderbilt, I think is, I don't even 67,000, something like that. Same as USC. It's yep. very expensive, but if you give someone a quarter of a scholarship, you got to come up with the other 45,000 or so. Um, so that's where they had the, the academic side step in. Um, so we had academic scholarships because Georgia has the hope scholarship. And then, um, I think Florida does the, or Tennessee does the Tennessee lottery, but, uh, Vanderbilt doesn't yep. qualify for that. And so um, you kind of have to find different ways of uh, staying competitive and uh, keeping up with everyone else. Well, it's interesting because I think how we really got connected was uh, a family friend, if you're listening out there, because they will listen to this podcast because you all, uh, the Siebers, he's Mm -hmm. a sophomore at Modern Day and he's committed to Vanderbilt Mm -hmm. to be a pitcher. Eventually we'll get... We'll get Brandon on this show in four years. And then um, CJ, who's the freshman Mm -hmm. catcher right now, uh, Modern Day. So uh, a lot of Modern Day funneling over to Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. Uh, And people don't realize, they're like, wait, they're not 100% scholarship? I'm like, no, that's like basketball and football because those fund half of the other sports. Let's talk about Vanderbilt being a student athlete. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, I was our student manager. And I got a lot of perks and we got the, the counseling, the resources. That's huge, yeah. especially at Vanderbilt. It, I mean, let's talk about academics, um, the, 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 the counselors and, yeah. and, and, and help with the student athletes. No, that was, that was, uh, that was a big help. And, and uh, that's, I mean, that's how I graduated. And uh, so what they do is they sit you down and um, my freshman year, uh, I had researched what uh, what majors I was interested in and um, what most of the the baseball players were were doing at Vanderbilt as far as their majors they were going and so I did uh, a route called human organizational development. We don't have a uh, business school at Vanderbilt, but um, it's in the Peabody School, it's education school, so it's it's the closest thing um, to a business degree as you can get. Um, and so I signed up for that. And uh, what they did was is if you had they the most like the electives or the freshman classes that everyone has to take. Um, they help us out and you get tutors forever for all these. So we'd have four or five of my freshman buddies and we'd be in, um, we'd be in calculus together. And so every Monday, Thursday, we'd have calculus tutor from seven to eight. And so, um, we'd meet, sit down with the calculus tutor and they help us, um, help us prep for the test. Or if we had a test coming up, we'd do a calculus tutoring session right beforehand. Um, or they'd, uh, help us with homework or the stuff we'd work on that night and all that. Um, it wasn't anything crossing the lines. It was pure m- merely of 
we a lot of I mean a lot of guys on the team couldn't have gotten into Vanderbilt academically on their own and so um, we had to stay uh, relevant in baseball and so we got a bunch of good baseball players that um, uh, needed some help academically and so we had a bunch of tutors that would help us through um, and then we'd all study together as a team um, but Vanderbilt's a very challenging academic school. I mean, we our, our daily schedule is we have to take eight classes, eight to 11. Um, you get up probably 11 to one off to go grab lunch or go back and uh, unwind before practice. We practice from 1.30 till 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. I mean, you're, you're committed to the baseball team. So do you agree with this statement? Because I tell people this, if they're thinking about going on to being a student athlete and playing in college, I say Vanderbilt owns you. You basically work... For Vanderbilt. Yeah. No, I mean, it's very true. I mean, you're, you're a student athlete and it's, I mean, that takes up 97% of your time. I mean, you're, you're going to school, you take, we take 15 hours a, a semester. So I take, I probably take three hours or three classes a day for five days a week. Um, so I would go do all those and then we'd come straight to the field, 1.30 to 7, where you're doing uh, baseball activities, throwing, whatever, running, and then shagging batting practice, going to weightlifting sessions. And then um, we had a – Vanderbilt has a uh, athlete cafeteria where you sit there with a the football team, basketball team, all the other teams. And um, those become your friends. You get to know all the other athletes. Um, and then you go to study hall afterwards. And so um, we would go to the study hall from till 9.30 or so, 10 o'clock at night, and then rinse, wash, repeat. You do it all over again. Well, and I, I, I call that like your own community, your Greek system, yeah. your fraternity, because obviously being a student athlete, I'm sure, I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. some of your baseball teammates were in fraternities, but you don't have that time uh, to do that, correct? Yeah, so we weren't allowed to do that. Um, Vanderbilt is a, a spring rush uh, for uh, for schools. So um, it, it's kind of nice, though, because Vanderbilt is such a small school that you know everyone in the fraternities anyways, because they're in classes with you or you see them around campus or um, I was fortunate to have a couple of buddies that were in fraternities that went to my high school. And so um, y- you all become friends that way. It's uh, you're not in the fraternity. And that was perfectly fine because we have such a fraternity of baseball guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had um, 35 guys that I lived with. I went to class with. I ate with. We worked out, did baseball together, and then we slept t- 10 feet apart from each other. So um, that's, that ends up being your fraternity. And uh, it was good for me. So how was Vanderbilt's party scene? Yep. I mean, the foot. I don't even want to talk about the football team because uh-huh. they, they, they fucking sucks. Yeah. Okay. But your tailgate's probably better at the baseball games than you the know, football games. You know what's funny is so we had, so I came there 2010 11. So in our first two years, we went one one and 10 and then two and nine. So we were, we were awful. So our tailgates, the tailgates would be at six o'clock at night. And so all the students get in for free if you have a Vanderbilt card. Um, we wouldn't even think of going to the games. I mean, okay. it was unless we were playing. We honestly, I went to the first two years. I probably went to three games, and I probably left it first quarter or so. <laughs> um, but the the tailgates ran through the football games because the football games would start at six. Sunday didn't go down until seven fifteen or so. So it's your Saturday, you're having fun. So your tailgate goes to six. No one wants to leave and go to the the football games. And then you, at Vanderbilt, you can walk from. I mean, it's probably less than a quarter of a mile to the football field. Right. And so no one wants to leave anyways. And actually what we'd end up doing is we'd go back and take naps. And so everyone would like six, you go from, uh, go to tailgates from one thirty to six or so we'd go eat dinner, go take a nap or whatever. And then Nashville, luckily Vanderbilt is two and a half miles from downtown Nashville. And so if, uh, if there wasn't a, uh, fraternity party or someone wasn't, uh, organizing something, we'd go downtown Nashville and it was a lot different. And, when I was there in 2009, 10, 11, um, because it wasn't, hadn't blown up as big as it is now. 
Um, but we'd still go down there and um, go to our favorite bars downtown. And um, that was our social scene. And so yeah. um, it was kind of mostly it was um, it'd be like Thursday and Friday would be um, on campus parties, stuff like that. Uh, local stuff pretty close by. And then Saturday would be tailgates, and then uh, we go to downtown Nashville. And if you haven't been to Nash Vegas, as I call it, yep. right? I, I I tell my daughters, I go, you want to go to Nashville before Vegas? Yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, you go down Broadway Street, and 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 there's what 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 are your favorite bars there? Unfortunately, like three of them have been torn down and replaced. So that's so before I was there, um, we went to one that's still standing. Um, we'd go to uh, the stage is a big one down there, right on the corner. They had one called Paradise Park, uh, just got torn down, and it's it had it was great because they serve food. Uh, you go to the bar and they serve hot dogs and chili cheese fries and all this like at the bar. Um, and it was two stories. My type of yeah, place. it got well, it got torn down. Jason Aldean tore it down and made the Jason Aldean three story humongous bars that are there now. Um, okay, is that who? The, so like I've the, been to that bar and there's three different levels of different type of music. Yeah, so that yeah, exactly. So they have like soundproof the the levels, and yeah. so it's like the first yeah, the yeah. first floor will be like a country music bar, and then the second floor will be like a. Uh, electronic dance music uh, floor, <laughs> everything going on. It's exactly. Yeah. And then the third floor would be like bottle service. It'll be like a, a tables going on up top. Um, it's entirely different, but it's, yeah, I mean, that's what is happening in Nashville is it's, I mean, uh, it's become more of the Jason Aldean has a bar. Dirks Bentley has a bar. Florida Georgia Linehouse has a bar. Um, and it's gone from the, the bars that have been there for the last 20, 30 years, which are still there. There's some that are still... Yeah, there's honky-tonks exactly. there's tootsies. There's honky-tonks everywhere. I mean, the, yeah, there's st it's still 80% honky-tonks, but uh, some of the big names have come in and, and replaced those with the big three-story bars that we talk about. Okay, so... Jason Aldean figured it out. Yeah, Jason Aldean did, yeah. <laughs> Murph, we might have to go down there and yeah. figure something out. Yeah. Okay, so I had a friend. I always ask this question to college students, right? As a freshman, people have fake IDs, right? Mm -hmm. And, and they're, they're getting alcohol or getting in the bars. Well, I hear Nashville's pretty tough because I had a friend that had a fake ID. Our friend's daughter went in and got, boom, taken away. I'm like, dude, you can't be going down to Nashville like right away using a fake ID at these some of these clubs. Did yeah. you guys know like the places? So when I was when I was a freshman, uh, we'd go down there and uh, if you were, un they put an X on your hands is what you do. If you're under 21, you put an X on your hands. Um, and uh, I mean... This is a horrible thing to say, but we take chapstick. You put you <laughs> you up chat. You put chapstick on the top of your palm, and then they put the X on there, and they put the X on the chapstick. And so you go in the bathroom could... and just wash it off. Um, so like that's what we that's what we would do. And then, um, but yeah, they're tough. They they they're tough down there on uh, on fake IDs and all that. Yeah. And and that's why I mean my freshman sophomore year, I don't think I went down to downtown probably. Uh, maybe three or four times. I mean, you have at Vanderbilt, they have such a, the freshman commons is what they're called. Everyone kind of stays in their little bubble over there. It looks like Hogwarts. I mean, it's just humongous, nice buildings everywhere, beautiful cafeteria. Um, there's enough on-campus parties to where you don't have to go downtown. But um, when we got older and we were 21, we kind of wanted, we'd done the on-campus parties for two years or so and wanted to bounce around to something else. And so that's when we'd go downtown. Student ratio mm -hmm. of the classrooms, was it pretty small? It was. Um, I would say most of my classes were probably, I mean, fifteen to twenty. I mean, I had I had a couple auditoriums where it was a two hundred person class. Um, if I had a, uh, I had a couple science requirement classes that were two hundred. Um, I was in uh, 
uh, one of my favorite classes. Uh, we had a, a history of rock and roll. It was one of my electives mm-hmm. that we had, had to take and all that. Um, but most of my major classes um, were 15 to 20. I mean, it was small enough and um, you actually had to do your homework because you got called on and it was it was a small enough room to where they noticed everyone was there. Did Coach Corbin make you all sit up in the front? We had, yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> he also had, uh, we had uh, athlete tutors uh, that would come in and check on us. And so uh, they used to do it where it would be the, uh, the counselor would come in and we, they knew if they had, we had 10 of us in chemistry or whatever, or a chemistry lab, they would sit out there and just watch you make sure you came yep. to class so you couldn't get around it. We had our assistant coach. I remember one time he was out. Coach goes, Fonger, can you go see if so-and-so's in class? I'm like, fuck, what am I doing? Like, be the rats? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm like walking up. <laughs> yeah, they're in class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they went. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, yeah, we had a, uh, there was a couple, they text some tutors too. Like they got sneaky with it of like the tutors that would tutor us that were also in the class with us. Um, they would t- ask them. They get their phone numbers, text them. Sometimes. Did, did but, Vanderbilt have student managers on the baseball team? We did. Yeah, we had we had three or four student managers, um, and so they had. They, two of them were our bullpen catchers um, okay. that would uh, warm us up down in the bullpen, and then we had a couple guys that threw batting practice. Um, but yeah, we had we had three or four. You keep in touch with any of your teammates? Yeah, all the time. I got four teammates on my San Francisco Giants team. Yeah. Yastrzemski. Yeah. Yastrzemski, Kirk Casale, and Tyler Beatty. So um, Vanderbilt has 14 Major League Baseball players that went to, are currently in the big leagues, uh, that went to Vanderbilt. So um, yeah, it used to be Long Beach State. Long Beach State and Arizona State used to be Mm -hmm. one and two. Um, Vanderbilt uh, took them over the top spot. But I mean, we have, I have, fortunately, we have four guys on my team that I all played with. And so that's pretty fun. So wait, Brooksy, being one of the top prospects, Vandy never even called you? Yeah, they did. You could have been like, I know, that's one of the things. Like, we talk about this. Yeah. I mean, at the time, I had no idea where Vanderbilt was. I mean, you weren't listening to this podcast. I know. That's why. Growing up in Southern California, I always thought of like, the SCs and the UCLA's and all those places. But once I kind of got into baseball um, and traveling around doing like baseball stuff, I got to see the East Coast and I learned about the LSUs and the Floridas and all these places. And Vanderbilt actually was one of, they were on me pretty hard. And looking back on it now, should I have gone to Vanderbilt? Probably, absolutely. Um, With the amount of talent that they produce out of there every year. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was just one of those decisions that, at the time, I didn't really know where Vanderbilt right. was, and if I knew it was in downtown Nashville now, like I do now, it would have probably been a very easy decision for me. Yeah. Pete Carroll's at USC though when you were there. I mean, it was. It was yeah, like, I mean, Pete. Yeah. We had one of my short story real quick. One, our running back in high school was supposed to be an uh, unbelievable running back. He was six three, two twenty five, and ran a four four forty. Um, I was sitting next to him in chemistry class one day. And Pete Carroll was coming in to check on him just to like see how he was in the classroom and at school and stuff. And uh, great guy, obviously, the kid that didn't turn out to uh, to go to SC because the day that Pete Carroll showed up, he was sitting in class with big gauge earrings in and like messing around with the dude behind us. And Pete Carroll happened to walk in with our athletic director and the next day uh, yanked his scholarship from him. Who was that? His name was Tayson Tell. Did he go anywhere? No. Um, he he went to like a junior Bush. college, but uh, I mean, he was right up there with, I remember our, my freshman year and his freshman year at um, Temecula Valley, 
uh, we played Norco, and it was him versus Toby Gearhart, and he ran all mm-hmm. over Toby Gearhart. It was like they were the uh, back and forth, and we ended up stopping Toby Gearhart a couple times, and they just couldn't stop Tay, and it was unbelievable to watch. I mean, Toby was a senior at that time, and Tay just ran all over him. So obviously you guys have been friends even – before college, just because of the showcases or, or, or knowing each other? We didn't know each other until... So I got drafted by Pittsburgh out of high school, and I got traded to Kansas City in 2011. Sam signed in 2012. And we... Like, our g- group of guys, basically, we still all hang out together. That It was like me and Sam and Kyle Zimmer and the guy that pitches for the Dodgers now, Scott Alexander. Mm-hmm. We all kind of meshed together in Pro Bowl, and then from then on have really stayed close. Because you guys, while he was having fun in Vanderbilt, you're going through the I'm going through the grind. System, right? Going through the, the <laughs> absolute <laughs> ringer grind, you know? And I would love to hear some stories because I hear stories of just the minor leagues. But you guys played together in Arkansas, right? Yeah. And then in... Double-A um, and triple-A. Uh, Sacramento? Uh, uh, Omaha. Omaha. The Royals. Omaha. So, I mean, what was that experience like in the minor leagues while you knew all your friends were, you know, in college pitching or doing what they're doing. So my, actually my first off season of my entire pro ball career, I got drafted in June, uh, played until September and then went to instructional league until October. And when I got back in October, I was like, Hey, you know what? Like I'm going to go get the college experience. I actually moved into the dorms at USC with a couple <laughs> of the guys that I was going to go there with. And I just lived the college life. Like I Woke up and worked out with the baseball team. Chad Cruder, who was the head coach at the time, said, like, hey, you can work out here, no problem. Like, no hard feelings. You made your decision, and it is it is what it is. But I got the opportunity to go back there and spend the first offseason of my pro career with at SC with all these guys that I was going to go to school with. And uh, I probably, looking back on it now, I probably should have stayed home and worked out on my own and done done my own thing because – it turned into just one giant party every day. I mean, I was, they were off at school and doing all this stuff. And I was sleeping until 1030 because I went to the 90 uh, down in SC until 230 <laughs> in the morning. And it was wake up, grab a Subway sandwich and do it all over again. And the workout portion of it didn't really come into effect. It was more of just uh, it was on paper. You thought you were let's doing go that, see, right? uh Let's go see how much I can drink at the 90 tonight. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I got, to yeah. I got to go experience my college lifestyle that I never got to experience. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, the minor leagues is definitely a grind going back into that spring, tr- spring training the following year. I was definitely not in the, the shape that I needed to be after my first professional season. But, uh, I mean, the minor leagues is definitely, everybody talks about it, but there's no way of really putting it into like words, how like shitty it really is i mean okay what's the like this one story that pops up i mean i get drafted as an 18 year old kid i think i'm gonna have like the world by the balls obviously and i show up to spring training and i'm in bradenton florida and i've never been to bradenton been to bradenton florida in my life and i show up and we're in the middle of the hood in bradenton florida is where the complex is it's in the hood so much that you the whole complex is 10 foot gate around the whole thing. It's ghetto. It's, I mean, you're not in the best area. Let's put it that way. Um, there's big 
big uh, like Lincoln Town cars lifted up on 28s with the Tricks logo, like the Tricks serial logo on the side of the cars. And we were we were in the hood. I mean, it was it was a great time. But looking back on the only place that we had to go do anything at night because we had a 10 o'clock curfew, we'd go to Hooters and grab wings and watch watch a couple basketball games and drink three pitchers of beer and come back and do it all over again the next day in the 125 degree Bradenton. Humid, heat. sweaty, it's gross. muggy. Like, this is pro? <laughs> yeah. This, like, this is what I signed up this for. This is what I signed up for. Um, but it did. I mean, once you get kind of get out of the spring training thing, you're in some good cities. Like in short season A-ball, which is State College, Pennsylvania, I was at Penn State. Like we got to go and play baseball at Penn State's baseball field. And... That's where I spent my summer, and it was the mm-hmm. coolest summer in my entire life. We got to know the football players at Penn State, and they actually, our last game of the year on September 3rd, they were playing Ohio State in the whiteout game. Whiteout night game. And uh, our game ended at 11 in the morning because we had to play a 10 a- – it was like a – it ended at like noon because we played a 10 a.m. game last game of the season. We all stayed around for the tailgate, got tickets for the whiteout, Um because the football stadium there just engulfs the baseball field. I mean, people were partying the whole day leading up to it. Tailgates everywhere around the baseball field. We're just trying to... They got to clean up. It's like our last minor league game of the season. Everybody's like swinging at the first pitch trying to get out of there like to go party at uh, Ohio State or uh, Penn State. And at the end of that game, I think nobody said goodbye to one another because we weren't seeing them for the whole offseason. Everybody was just so concerned about getting get over to the, the tailgates. But... You see some really cool like cities and places that I probably would have never seen in my entire life had it been for Pro Bowl. Charleston, West Virginia being one of them. Probably never want to go back there. But uh, it's just completely different. I mean, you see it's the bus rides. It's the, hey, 10-hour bus ride through the night, stopping at McDonald's at 2 a.m. to get everybody double-double or double uh, McDoubles. Double and Yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's not as glamorous as you think. What's your favorite minor league city? Ooh, that's tough. Sam and I had a pretty good experience in Double A. We were at the University of Arkansas. We were in Fayetteville. It's just, yeah. And uh, that stadium's sick. Getting getting done with the games in Fayetteville, everybody was like convening in the clubhouse after the game at ten thirty. Like, hey, we got to go. Like, uh, Mill Street's going off right now. Like, we're we're late. <laughs> Like, we got to get in the car and go. So that was probably one of my funnest experiences in pro ball, just being able to be with the guys that I've stayed in touch with so closely and being on one single team with them and being able to go party out in Fayetteville and do all our things together. That's kind of where, like, our all of our relationships started. Right, right. So here we are. By the time this podcast gets dropped, which will be in late February, uh, what's going on with MLB right now? Right. I mean, they're trying to push back the season one month. You're supposed to be reporting technically to spring training in a week, pitchers and catchers. The protocol, COVID, I mean, you just finished your season in late September. You play like 40, 50 games. What was it like during COVID and now going into this season? Yeah, so last season um, we all went to – so Brooks was with uh, Tampa Bay Rays in camp in Florida. I was with San Francisco Giants. Um, we played until spring training went until March 10th or so. Mm-hmm. They, they had like two days left. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> it was like literally yeah. like March 23rd, and the season was starting on March 28th. Yeah. So it, we – and then so they sh- they shut us down. They, they said we're going to full stop. Um, and I stayed in Scottsdale for probably two weeks trying to figure out what on earth to do uh, because I thought I was going to be playing baseball this time. And then um, we went and I rented a house with uh, two of our buddies in uh, Del Mar – um, got ready for the season. Then uh, I went and played. So we went to San Francisco. We had a mini spring training again in San Francisco, and then the season started. And it was a sprint to the finish line. We played sixty games in um, a little over two months, um, and it was uh, uh, it worked. It worked out well for me. I, I pitched well um, in the beginning, and then um, I was able to stay on the team the full year. Um, and but we just, I mean, we just stayed in the hotel room the whole time. It was it was two and a half months of staying in hotels. We went on the road. Um, they brought all the meals to you. Uh, wake up in the morning, your meal was outside the door. Lunch was outside the door, and then you eat dinner at the field, but come back and they bring you a snack. Um, so it was sixty days of you're flying to your destination, doing that, and then you come back home. Yeah, yeah, you just do the same thing over again. And then we'd go back to San Francisco, and uh, we all stayed in a hotel for sixty days of there. And so. Um, yeah, it was, what was your best meal? Uh, we had, uh, I mean, everything was in a box. So that was, that was the hard part. It's like we had, we had Morton's a couple of times or like Fleming's or like a great steak, but like by the time like someone cooked it and then delivered it to you and then it it comes to the hotel room. Yeah. And so you get, I mean, you get it delivered and like, I'm cutting up a a 12 ounce, like filet with a little plastic four of the knives. And so, um, it's not, I mean, it's not as glamorous as, uh, as, as it has been in years past, but um, we got through the season. Yeah, we uh, the Giants had a good run. We lost the, literally the last day of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Brooks was there, and he was uh, he was rooting for us to lose. He, I was going to say, so, you're probably we, we had tea times at Pebble Beach booked. I mean, we were ready to go. Um, you know, a flight back home with my wife, or drive down the coast with Sam and play a bunch of golf. Yeah, so and I'm so like, hey, I need Sam to lose here. Today. Yeah, come on, so, yeah, we, throw the game, yeah. throw the game, Sam, we, throw throw in the lefty. Uh-huh. <laughs> we lost the last game of the season, and. Uh, and yeah, and then so the season ended. We went there. So we've been down here for uh, spring or for the off season. Spring training starts up February seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Technically, um, there. I mean, we're still waiting to get the full go ahead, but it sounds like it's going to happen on time. Um, and it'll be the same thing going forward. I think it's going to be without fans. We'll go there and you'll prep for six weeks, and then the season will start off uh, April first. How was it playing with no fans? Uh, it's very different. So. Um, I, I played. I got called up in 2019, so I got two months uh, of fans in the stands before uh, this COVID season in 2020. So um, playing with fans in the stands, I mean, Brooks can tell you more about this, but it's just there's so much energy going on, especially when um, it's a, a packed house on a Friday, Saturday night. And then the COVID season, um, there's there's no fans in the stands. Some stadiums don't even bother to put uh cutouts or anything like that in the stands <laughs> so in san francisco we had twelve thousand cutouts and they pump in sound noise and so if you're out there like you're, you're concentrating on the catcher but your peripherals still see fans in the stands because there's cardboard cutouts you hear the the thing going on you're still facing um cody bellinger or max muncie with the dodgers I mean, it's still a real real game going on and then we went to Colorado, and they didn't even bother to put any cardboard <laughs> fans up. So, like, you step back. There's no nothing going on. It's like a spring. It's like tra- a workout. Yeah, it's right? like a, it's a, much rain. Yeah, it's a it's a Colorado, yeah, it's a spring training game. And like, so I would be there trying to concentrate, and you step off, and you just see empty bleachers. Like, there was a janitor cleaning the section, like as I'm throwing right here, and it's just uh, it was entirely different. So you kind of had to bring your own energy and all that. But uh, back to rookie ball. It's, yeah, yeah, bet. It's like back in a rookie ball game where you're in like a backfield, okay. like instructional league or like a minor league spring training game where you're 
facing this guy and you know you're like hey you got to get him out because this guy is trying to take all your money and like take food off your table but <laughs> do i really have the adrenaline to get this right, guy out right. right now i mean you're thinking about going to the 9 or something <laughs> yeah. or like as baseball players with like musicians and stuff like i'm sure like you feed off of energy in the stadium and like 100%. yeah Bert, you could probably totally agree yeah, with that right 100 yeah. like I made my debut in Toronto in 2016, and I'm facing Murderers Row in a in a in a city of Toronto where they have one baseball team. The whole country's behind them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. there's 55,000 people in Rogers Center every single night watching the Blue Jays play, and it's Jose Batista, Josh Donaldson, uh, Edwin Encarnacion, all these guys that are like. Wait, how did you fare against that Murderers Row? Ooh, my first inning in big league baseball. Went unbelievable because I faced nine one and two. I faced Ezekiel Carrera, Josh Tolley, and uh, Devin Travis. And I was like, I was like, I, I had I so I gave up a chopper over the middle for my the first guy I ever faced, Devin Travis, and then struck out Josh Tolley, and then our catcher Salvador Perez threw out Devin Travis stealing. So strike him out, throw him out, two outs. I'm like, oh, perfect. Dang, this is what big leagues is like. I got a catcher that can throw somebody out. Like, sweet. And then struck out Ezekiel Carrera. So I'm like, all right. Like, my two strikeouts, nobody. I'm like, all right. They just ease me in. Like, I'm good. Like, they're going to say, hey, like, next guy's coming right, in. Right. Pitching coach comes up and says, hey, like, you got the next inning. You still good to go? And I'm like, yeah, I just got here. Like, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> um, and then it was Troy Tulowitzki leading off. Long Beach State. (laughs) Josh Donaldson, Jose Batista, Edwin Encarnacion. And uh, I think Tulo got a base hit. I struck out Encarnacion and then walked Batista. And then Donaldson hit like a little flare over the shortstop's head, scored a run. So got out of it after that. I gave up one run in two innings and got my feet wet in the big leagues, I guess. Who's your toughest out? Dude, Kevin Pillar, this guy. <laughs> he, he didn't even hesitate. That too. Every American League second, every second baseman in the big leagues, I cannot get out for some reason. Why is it mental? I don't know. Like usually, the second baseman's the guy that doesn't have like the pop or like the the home run power. I swear, I've given up nine home runs to nine big league second basemen. Has Danny Espinosa ever hit a home run off you? Danny Espinosa has not. Okay. Danny and I were teammates in uh, Anaheim in 17, so I didn't get the opportunity. And then we were teammates again in uh, 2019 with the Mets in Syracuse. Okay, but go back to uh, Kevin. Kevin Pillar, <laughs> this guy is, I mean, he's a great hitter, obviously. Um, but for some reason, when he gets in the box, anything I throw, it's like he sees a beach ball. This guy is like six for six with a couple home runs, and a ground rule double and whatever. I mean, I just can't get this guy out. Yeah, there he is. I mean, <laughs> good thing he's nightmares. On the, You're gonna have nightmares yeah. with that Brooksy. It's when he steps in the box. I don't know for some reason. Like at this point, I'm gonna be like, dang, I can't get this guy out. But I don't even know if he knows that he owns me. So we get these scouting reports uh-huh. that the manager goes off of, and it's like, hey, how many hits does this guy have off of this guy in his career? So. 
I guarantee you, if I ever get the chance to pitch against Kevin Pillar again, the manager's going to pull me yeah. before, or before if, I get the opportunity. Or if there's Vegas in-game betting, I'm fucking going and making that bet. Like, I'll do the odds, like home run 50 to 1 if he hits <laughs> That's so, That's like the funny thing. Like we, we play the minor leagues in Reno, and we're walking through there one day, and I'm in Salt Lake at the time, and back and forth with Anaheim like on the shuttle, basically, between the big leagues and the minor leagues. And me and my buddy were walking from the hotel to the field one day, and there's like this guy we don't even know, just a <laughs> grimy guy getting out of like his taxi to go to the stadium. And my buddy looks at me and he goes, uh, "What? Like that guy's sitting in the sports book last night, like in Anaheim. I just got sent down. He's like, you think he bet the house on the Angels to win, and then you came in and was like, fuck, this guy's in. Like, <laughs> fuck, man, get me out of here. Like, get this guy out of here. Like." How many times have like somebody cursed me out in a sports book? That's what I really want to know in my life. Okay, so who do you want to see? Who's the easiest out? Ooh. That's tough. I mean, I've had some success against a lot of guys. Edwin Encarnacion's probably one of my bigger name guys that I've had success against. Um, I think I've punched him out all four times I've faced him. But, I mean, that could just be a stroke of luck. Got him on the... He's already got his three hits for the day. Like, I'm just going to, my fourth bat, I'm already checking out. But, um, you know, for some reason, I always throw well against the Giants. I mean, I had the best outing of my career in San Francisco probably in 2018 when I was with Colorado. Mm-hmm. I went in there and our starter, they needed me to finish the game. So I finished the last three innings of the game and punched out eight guys. Gave up like one hit. So... I don't know. It's something about that ballpark. I think it's just very like easy to go into that ballpark knowing it plays huge as a pitcher. pitcher. It's a pitcher um, ballpark. You kind of don't have to be as fine, I guess, on the corners. But uh, it's like golf, I, you can miss a little. Yeah, bit. like give me a <laughs> give me an up and back course. I don't want like a desert desert course where I can block one right and I'm behind a cactus. Right. <laughs> but. I think it's just something about going in there, and I think Sam can probably ha- harp on it more as a pitcher. Like you don't have to be you don't have to be as fine like with the corners and stuff and you're okay giving up like the weak contact because you know that the outfielders got room to go run down and grab it and um i think being in colorado kind of messed with my head a little bit because any pop up in the air you're holding your breath you're holding your breath but yeah uh something about san francisco is just I, i love playing there well let's go to the lefty uh sam i mean you've now had what year and a half yeah, year and a half, yeah. So what is it about that ballpark? I mean, do you feel more confident in that ballpark? The the wind blows off the bay, and so it, it really keeps the ball in the ballpark. Um, it actually it swirls a lot. The outfielders said that it's like if you can play outfield in San Francisco, you can play anywhere because it comes. For some reason, there's a gust of wind that blows across, and then the wind blows off the bay, and so balls are just circling out there. Um, and it's just uh, – it used – but before last year, and this is when Brooks probably pitches, it gets so cold at night in San Francisco. And so they used to have the the mounds on the field, which was the worst thing ever because they there's no bullpens. There's no place to sit in the bullpen along the field. So at night, it'll be 50 degrees or so, but you're they have a little tunnel, a little area underneath where the bullpen hangs out. And we have space heaters down there, and it's like 80 degrees. And so what happens is you go, you're warming up in this space heater of this room. It's 80 <laughs> degrees. And then you come up, and it changes 30 degrees when you go up 20 steps. 
steps. And then you got to get on the field and start warming up again. And so um, it, that was just a, an experience in itself, like my first time going to pitch there. But uh, you get used to it. They built, uh, built bullpens out there in the field and all that. Um, in between innings to warm you yeah, up. You, try, you try to figure out <laughs> s- some way to stay warm or do anything to stay going and all that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of fun throwing in San Francisco. Your hardest out. Who's the toughest out? We talked about this before. Um, Roman Quinn. No. <laughs> um, this this is a this is a good story. I was, I was trying to think of my hardest out. I I, I think of I think of another one. But this my debut. I was in Philadelphia, and I had a it, it was a horrible call up story. Thirty second story, but it was um, they called me up from San Antonio. So I was in AAA in San Antonio. Call me to Philadelphia. I fly to Richmond for my connection. Hailstorm hits Richmond. I can't get to Philadelphia. They tell me I'm going to go get sent back down, back to San Antonio. Like after I've made one flight, can't make the second. And this is my, I've never been in the big league. I've been in the minor leagues for seven years. I'm like, I am making it to Philadelphia. So I rented a car and I drove through a hailstorm. And it was like, I missed the game I was supposed to pitch in, but I got there. And so I got to Philadelphia and I called my agent and I, I talked to the assistant general manager who told me I was coming up. And uh, he thought I was going back to San Antonio. I was like, no, like I'm in Philadelphia. Like I'm, I'm like ready. I'm here. Like if you're gonna send me down, like we're gonna do it from Philadelphia. <laughs> like it's like I at least got here. And so the next morning I wake up and uh, it's 9 a.m. Mike Yastrzemski, my good teammate, yeah. uh, he's there. He's like, stay ready, man. You never know what's gonna happen. So 9 a.m. rolls around. First bus to go to the ballpark. One o'clock game. Uh, no phone call, no nothing. So I go eat breakfast with my parents because they flew up because I told them I was coming. Um, so I'm sitting down there eating breakfast. Like I'm get, like they booked my flight for San Antonio. Like I am going back down <laughs> to the minors. And uh, lo and behold, a guy came up lame on a ground ball in warmups. Like literally hurt his knee. And that's how I made my debut. Is a guy was in warmups. Uh, they had put him on the 10 day DL, and I got activated because they needed a guy. And I was yeah. happened to be in the hotel. So. Um, right place, right time, I guess, or always be prepared is the moral of the story. But anyways, um, they call me and it's 10 o'clock. The game's at one. I drive over to Citizens Bank Ballpark in Philadelphia. I get there. I have never been in big league camp. I don't know anyone on the team. I mean, I know my teammate, Mike Yastrzemski, and that's it. So I, I go in there and I'm shaking hands with everyone. I meet Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner, Bruce Bochy, the pitching coach, the like anyone, they don't even anyone, know who you are. anyone on the team has no, yeah, no clue who I am. Like literally, just put a jersey out for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I get out there and uh, I miss the scouting report meeting. We're flying to Denver after the game. Like this is, like, and so I was like, I'm definitely getting in this game. Like there's no chance I'm not getting in this game. And so I go out there and throw, and I'm just it's all it's all erratic in the warm up. And I was like, all right, well, I know I'm gonna pitch. And lo and behold, our starter goes three innings. And I was like, I know I'm getting in this game. <laughs> First phone call down, fourth inning, saying you got it. And so I go in there, I'm warming up in the ballpark. I go and make my debut. I face. Um, I can't remember who, who it was. The first Cesar Hernandez. I punch out Cesar Hernandez um, for my first my first out, first strikeout, first out, and I look at the jumbotron because I don't know who's coming up next. I missed the scouting report meeting, and it's Roman Quinn, who's this? He's like a five eight speedy outfielder, and That's he's me. yeah. He I look at the jumbotron, it's like hitting one ninety eight, zero home runs, like two RBIs below like, the Mendoza line. Yeah, to Sam's defense. Citizens Bank Ballpark in Philadelphia in a day game is probably one of the worst places to pitch in all of baseball. It is hot, it is muggy, and it's like 315 down the lines. So anyways, I get to Roman Quinn, and 
uh, I had I met Stephen Vote, who's uh, our catcher. He's been with Oakland for a long time. He was a catcher with us at the Giants. And uh, it's, it's laughable, but he came out to the mound. He's like, all right, what do you want to throw? Like, he didn't know what I was pitching, how I pitched. <laughs> so anyway, so like we got to Roman Quinn, and uh, it was, uh, I mean, right-handed speedster, or left-handed speedster, and uh, he just goes slider over the middle of the plate. So I just cast the slider in there, just try to get ahead of the guy, and he hits a home run first row in the bleachers. <laughs> like, guy's hitting 198 in the big leagues, and uh, it, it, we were losing 11-1. to 1. Like, go, it wasn't hey, close. Merch, yeah. go see how many home runs this guy has hit Yeah, you can, look, you can look this guy up. I mean, yeah. Roman Quinn. Roman Quinn. He probably yeah. he has yeah. one. So, the, like, luckily... One home run in his career. One home run. So, luckily, this, like, this has a happy ending, because I I got I you I I gave up a home run to the nine hole hitter, so now I got one two three in Philadelphia with one out, and so uh, I I forget who I forget who the leadoff hitter was, but I somehow got him out. Uh, I walked Bryce Harper, which is probably for the best, and then got Reese Hoskins to uh, ground into a double play, so I got out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was my that was my debut. Yeah, in Philadelphia. So I love that. All right, so yeah. we're here in Here's Southern California. Right here. here he is. Wait, wait, let me see him. They don't even have his. Uh, you guys, minor league pitcher. That's great. See how many home runs? We're 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 looking <laughs> at how many home runs <laughs> Roman Quinn has. Oh, so. Yeah. Five nine, 165 pounds is his height and weight. He's, he's, got, he's got eight career pumps. Okay. Yeah. He's All got, against he's, self. He's got parts of parts of four years, and he has eight career home runs. He finished out the year in 2019 with a 213 batting average with four homers. So yeah, wow. I, maybe I turned his season around. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. You sparked him. There you go. So Sam, most of the, my followers and audience, you know, obviously being in Southern California, they're big Dodger fans, and even by the way. My boys, Cornuke and Graham, who we played golf with, they're like, Fonger, should I wear a Dodger hat? I'm like, you can fucking wear whatever you want. But like the Dodgers, do the Giants, how bad do they hate the Dodgers? I, I don't know what it is. So I'm, I'm from Texas and I never knew anything of this rivalry. And I when I came over to the Giants, I didn't know anything about it. But I mean, they don't like each other. The Giants and the Dodgers do not get along. I think that uh, it's something with both our organizations thinks the other one is does everything wrong or they're just a bunch of assholes. I mean, that's just the simplest way of putting it. Like I think the, the Giants fans think the Dodgers just think they're better than everyone else and they don't like their attitude. They go around about things and all that. Um, so it's, it's a serious rivalry. I mean, it's when we go in there, I mean, we have the, we always play, I mean, the Dodgers won the world series this past year, but we always play them very well. Um, the, even this past year when they won 40 games out of 60, I think we end up splitting the series with them. Um, and so it, it's always... I think that's one of your one wins. Your one yeah, and one. Yeah, I got I got a win against them. Yeah, I came in the 11th in a game and... Uh, Someone got, hit a walk. I got, uh, I got Seager to hit a hit a ground ball double play, got out of the inning, and then one of our guys hit a walk-off in the bottom of the 11th. And so I got the win there. So they bring um, you in mostly for Jock, Clay, and Seager, right? Yeah. So I'm uh, unfortunately they signed Mookie Betts. So there's a right-handed bat in that, in that hole. So normally in 2019 before they signed Mookie, it, it went through of it was Jock, uh, Muncie, Bellinger, uh, uh, Seeger. So it would be all lefties. So I would go in. That was my that was my section. They call it pockets. So you go face your certain pockets. Um, but then, yeah, so I, I had a couple outings where I'd have to go through that pocket, and then I face Mookie. I think I've walked him three times. I mean, I think, I think I've thrown 12 pitches against Mookie, and they've all been balls, and it's been three walks. I mean, it's just... Well, are you trying to stay away from him? Yeah, yeah, it's... it's, that's, I mean, that's literally what they tell me. It's, it's like they have... We have so many um, uh, stats out there on facing guys and what to throw to everyone, and 
it I mean the stats couldn't be worse when I'm facing Mookie it's literally like there's a 40% chance he hits a home run like just throw it away from him and don't even bother <laughs> um okay so, yeah. so stay on that because data science and analytics right and all these assistant GMs and GMs they look at that they're like 35 year old Harvard grads like what about the good old I like the eyeball test or you just go with your gut right I mean you guys have been there like what's your take on that if I'm a GM and I've never played baseball before I'm looking at science and data or do I go with my gut so like the way baseball is going now obviously it's very analytical driven um but for the baseball players I think that aren't as smart with numbers as these guys from Harvard and Yale and like all these people that they're hiring now there's a place in baseball for analytics obviously um but a guy like in my situation if they give me a sheet with a bunch of numbers on it I'm not going to understand it at all so the human aspect of it is is huge and they and organizations have done a really good job of getting ex-players that understand analytics to bridge the gap between the player and the analytic guy so he gets the information with all the numbers on the sheet and then he kind of dumbs it down for guys like Sam and I to understand like hey this is where you should pitch this guy because his success rate at the top of the zone is not nearly as high as it is in the bottom of the zone. So, um, in my opinion, I think analytics are awesome. Mm -hmm. But um, there's definitely a lot of people that use them religiously. But I think if you learn how to balance them out, because you have to look at a guy like Mike Trout. Like, analytics aren't going to tell you anything how to get him out. Just You know that he can't really hit the top of the fastball top of the zone fastball as well as he does the bottom. So maybe that's where you stay. But looking at Mike Trout, obviously nobody's going to be very confident when they're on the mound facing him. So the analytics kind of help you a little bit, but you definitely have to use like your judgment, obviously, when you're facing a guy like that. So let's start wrapping up because we could sit here forever. And, we'll, and after the season, we're, we're going to have to bring you guys back in. This is just fun. I mean, Murph, you, know, you hear stories like this. These are like the fun, right? And I told you, did I just tell you, I would be like the best fucking interview you ever had. You I mean, out of all these reporters up in San Francisco or wherever you've been, like, just fun. You're natural. You feel comfortable. But let's get back to, again, we're helping high school students and parents. You guys been through, you, you've heard two different stories, right? Your route and your route. I mean, if there's one thing, one thing, and, and, and I'm going to follow it up because you said something uh, that I want to uh, end on. But if there's like one thing you can tell high school students and parents about this whole process and what you've gone through and what you've learned, what would it be? I, I think I said it beforehand of just uh, imagine yourself actually going to school there as a, as a non-athlete. Um, that, was, that was my thing going in of I loved Vanderbilt. It was the perfect school for me. It had a good balance of academics as well as baseball. And it was in Nashville. And, uh, it was it was everything I was looking for in a school. Um, but that would be the biggest thing is make sure you like the school uh, that you're going to outside of the sport that you're playing. I think that would be my biggest takeaway. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to reiterate what Sam said, that's probably the most important thing when you're going to look for a college. I mean, at least it was for me. Um, obviously, moving forward, I knew baseball was going to be my route, but at the end of the day, I got to look at a school like SC and say, hey, like if I went to the school and something did happen, uh, if I had Tommy John and never threw another baseball again in my life. Uh, Your coach got would, fired. Yeah. yeah, my coach got fired mm -hmm. the first year I would have been there. Um, 
it's all stuff you would uh, you'd take in, but like I would I would have been very happy nonetheless of getting a degree from USC and figuring out my path other than baseball after that because avenues and avenues open up if you have a degree from a, like a USC. But um that's main the main reason why I chose SC. But I think just like Sam said, just figure out a place that you'll enjoy going to and Weigh all your factors, I guess. I mean, if being close to home is a factor for you, weigh that in. If it's not, maybe you should look at some other schools out on the East Coast and build your own legacy wherever wherever you want to go. And here we are in episode number 57. You guys know the goal and the objective for the Student Manager Podcast. We've been trying to get on Barstool Sports, the CEO, David Portnoy, and uh, his C- our CEO, uh, Erica Nardini. What do we have to say to Dave and Erica of the Fonger News and the Student Manager Podcast? Man, tough, tough one to bring in there. Um, I mean, you give the, the most well-rounded podcast I, I've seen. Of We talk about uh, helping college, helping high school kids pick where they want to go to school. Um, and this is a, a huge step in that direction of uh, giving them a, able to see 50 different colleges in this podcast and um, give everyone a a nice taste of what it actually is going to be like when they go to school there and getting kids when they're sophomores and juniors and uh, have a little more knowledge of the school and uh, giving them and their parents a guide as to what they're actually going to be like for their four years of their school they go to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you do a great job of obviously getting kids from this area and having different experiences in college, obviously. But if you can get this on a national platform and have kids from other sides of the East coast on the in high school, listening to the kids' experiences about like right. a West Coast school, I think that would be huge. I mean, as I know for me, going from uh, West Coast to East Coast, I didn't really know much about those schools going in. And as a high school kid, if I knew more about like the Vanderbilts and the the areas on the East Coast that I didn't know much about, uh, my decision might have been a little different. But if you can reach out to those people on the East Coast and exp- show them experiences on the West Coast, that would be huge. Well, this has been definitely fun, and we're going to have to run this back. Uh, We're going to run this back, and and we tell talk more stories, but I want to thank our executive producer, Murph Cargis, uh, for engineering it. He's been, he's the one running around showing the pictures of your, your, your worst, your worst nightmares. (laughs) But thank you to Sam Selman of the San Francisco Giants, alum of Vanderbilt, and to Brooks Pounder, who, uh, Temecula Valley High School, almost to USC, minor league career, baseball career, and we are getting ready for spring training. By the time this is on, hopefully we're playing baseball. Exactly. We'll see you in November for uh, part two. (laughs) Exactly, right? We'll go to Pebble Beach. We should do a podcast at Pebble. (laughs) Brooksy, done. What about, actually, Sam and I were talking about this, maybe not Pebble. We want to do like a Pinehurst trip next year. I would totally change it up. Right. Totally change it up. Podcast you know, at Pinehurst. We'll get Riggs, Riggs as be as a <laughs> 90 day stay at. Uh, there at you go. See? Pinehurst down there. <laughs> well, maybe we can play golf before you guys leave for spring training. It'd be awesome. Okay. All right. For the student manager, I'm Fonger News. Out.